Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and turn over to Colossians chapter number 2. And we're going to be looking again at verses 8 through number 12. We've been working our way through this passage, and I left you hanging last week. And so I just wanted to briefly recap what we covered last week and then dig in deep into these last two verses uh, that we're going to be looking at, uh, particularly in verses 11 through 12. Let's go ahead and read uh, Colossians 2, verses 8 through 12. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And so Paul's point in this passage is really, don't be captivated by false teaching, but be captivated by Christ in in not only who he is, but also in what he has done. You see, Paul was very concerned for these believers. He was concerned that they were being led astray. And he says, I don't want anybody to take you captive through this teaching that's going to lead you astray from who Christ is and what Christ has done. You see, one of the things about the elders here, we the elders of this church, are also concerned for you. And it's our job really to warn and to teach and instruct and guide you in the dangers of being led astray. And so really this is what we need to be talking about this morning, about being captivated by Christ and not being lured away by false teachers or their false teaching. So let's briefly recap a little bit kind of what we covered last week. First thing we looked at is beware of being kidnapped. You know, Paul's language here is is be on guard, watch out. Uh, What are we to be watching out for? The counterfeits, the false teachers, those who would try to take us captive and lead us away from the truth and being grounded in the gospel. And Paul says the, the way that they did it was through philosophy. And if you remember last week when we talked about what that philosophy, philosophy is a love of wisdom. And it's not just Uh, wisdom in general, but if there's a certain kind of wisdom. You see, there is a wisdom that comes from above. Uh, That's what James uh, teaches us. But also there is an earthly wisdom, and it's devilish, it's sensual, it comes from this world. And Paul says, don't be captivated by this philosophy, this love of wisdom, this worldly wisdom. And we hear it all all the time. There's a lot of uh, worldly philosophy that uh, can creep into our life if we're not careful. And he says it's empty deceit. It's an empty shell. And he tells us some things of how we can recognize it. He says it's according to human tradition. In other words, it has its groundings in man-made teachings. It's not according to Christ. It's man-made. It originates with man. It does not originate with God. It 
always originates with man. And he says it's man-made tradition. And then he tells that it was according to elemental spirits of the world. And we talked a little bit about that, about the elementary principles, the ABCs of trying to gain favor with God. That's what these false teachers were trying to do is they were promoting this idea that you had to do certain things in order to gain God's favor, in order to have this secret knowledge, this secret wisdom. Um, and there's a lot of that that still goes on in the churches today as well, that there's a push for this human tradition or traditions in general uh, to try to gain God's favor. And Paul says, beware of this philosophy, this love of worldly wisdom. Then we looked at the second thing here, and that was the fact that Jesus is all that you need. Listen to what Paul says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Right? He, now he's talking about who Christ is. See, what had happened is these false teachers had come in and they were trying to uh, lure away these believers from not only who Christ was, but also what Christ has done. And so they were telling them about things about maybe about Jesus that weren't true or they were, they were presenting a Jesus that really wasn't the Jesus of the scriptures. And Paul says, for in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In other words, Jesus is God. And in, in Christ, he is everything. And so Jesus is all that you need. We don't need other things in order to help us in our Christian life. We just need Jesus. We need to have our focus on Jesus. We need to be captivated by Jesus. And he says, and you have been filled in him, right? That was the whole idea that you are totally complete in Christ. We are complete in Jesus. We don't need other things to help us grow in our Christian life. We don't need other things to help us live the Christian life. We need Christ because we have Christ and Christ is all that we need. And so the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in him and you have been filled in him. And then that brings us to our third point here. And this is kind of where we left off, is that in Jesus, you have power over sin. You see, again, one of the things that these false teachers were doing is they were not only attacking the person of Christ, who Christ is, but now they were also attacking what Christ had done. They were promoting other things in order to live the Christian life. And in really, in Jesus... We have power over sin. We do not need anything else except Jesus. You see, these false teachers were not only uh, trying to lure away the attention of these believers from who Christ was, but also what Christ had done. They were teaching that Jesus' work on the cross was really not enough. It was not sufficient to conquer sin in their life. That you need to do other things, really, as we see uh, that something that was promoted was circumcision. Um, they were practicing man-made traditions, observing uh, certain festivals, not eating certain things. They said, hey, you got to do all these things in order to, have, uh, to, in order to conquer sin in your life. And Paul's like, no, 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 listen, Christ is enough. This is all that you need. In Christ, we have everything that we need. And in Jesus, we have power over sin. So Paul begins to teach further about what makes Christ sufficient. And that is the fact that uh, when we put our faith and trust in Christ to live the life that we uh, are called to live, 
Um, that should keep us from falling into some type of this slavery of sin. So how can I have power over sin in my life? How can knowing about Jesus' work on the cross impact my faith life to live a life that is pleasing to him? Well, Paul teaches Christ's sufficiency in our death to sin. Take note of what he says here uh, in verses 11 and 12. Circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through the faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so we get some interesting words here in these last two verses. If you notice, one of them is circumcision and the other is baptism. And we'll look at both of these here. But what does Paul mean by circumcision? In order for us to answer that question, we need to go back to where it was first mentioned. Now, this is something that, I can, that can really help you as you study the Bible. When you come to words like this, like circumcision or baptism, things like that, um, most Bibles, most study Bibles, have what's known as a concordance in the back of your Bible. And you could actually look up that, that word, whether it be baptism, circumcision, and you can find all the verses in the Bible that deal with that certain word. And this really helps you as you study God's word to get a real well-rounded picture of something that you're studying. If you have a, uh, like a Bible app on your phone, I'd recommend uh, getting like Olive Tree. That's a really good one. Or if you have like uh, some sort of uh, uh, Bible app on your tablet or your computer, you can do the same thing. You can look up every single word that deals with this and you can get a good understanding. So we find this thing about circumcision. What does Paul mean by this? We find that circumcision is first mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, there are two types of circumcision that are mentioned in the Old Testament. First of all, we find in Genesis 17 that God makes a covenant with Abraham. Remember Abraham? He's a pagan. He's serving paganistic gods. And God calls him out of paganism. And he says, I want you to begin to follow me. And he makes a covenant with Abraham and basically says, hey, look, um, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply your seed. And one of the ways that we're going to establish this covenant is through circumcision, Abraham. And basically circumcision was the fact that his male seed would have to undergo circumcision. Now, I'm not going to go into all the medical details of the anatomy of, of circumcision here. If you really want to know what that is, you can look it up on the Internet, okay? But the idea here is the fact that the uh, male skin, the, basically the males would have their foreskin removed to declare their participation in the Abrahamic covenant. To say, I am part of this covenant, and I have an external uh, a symbol that I am part of that covenant. In one sense, it was a declaration of faith in God. But the second type of, type of circumcision was a spiritual circumcision, which physical circumcision was supposed to represent. It was basically a symbol. And this was given to the nation of Israel. For example, in Deuteronomy 10, 16, Moses writes, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Deuteronomy 36, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants 
so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. You see, God required Israel to circumcise their hearts so that they could love God with all their heart, their mind, and soul. And if Israel circumcised themselves physically and not spiritually, it would have been void. It's kind of the same thing that we see a lot of today. People uh, talk about, well, I was baptized. Well, you've had some physical form of baptism, an external water baptism, but that does not make you a child of God. You have to be baptized into his death spiritually, is what Scripture teaches. Paul taught this in Romans 2, 28-29. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code, Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. And so no man was truly a Jew if it had only been an outward form of circumcision. They needed an inward circumcision of the heart. The outward ritual meant nothing without the inward reality. Now, put this all in context of what was going on in this church. Here's these believers at this church, and they had been Uh, circumcised spiritually in their hearts before God, and then here comes these false teachers in there, and they're saying, oh, uh, did you also get physically circumcised? Well, you really don't know God then. You see what they're doing? They're placing an emphasis on certain things to say, this is how you really can serve God then. And Paul is trying to redirect their attention again and say, no, this is what has happened in your hearts as a reality of circumcision. You were circumcised by Christ. And so in saying this, Paul was probably really challenging the Gnostics who were also requiring this as a law, as a means of salvation. Um, And we see that the Jewish laws were part of this cult in in some of these verses. Uh, For example, in uh, Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, when God saved us, Christ circumcised our hearts. Did you get that? When God saved us, He circumcised our hearts. You had no part in it. You didn't circumcise your heart. God did. And what did God do? Notice what it says there. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the old flesh. You see, that's what God has done in our lives if we know Christ as our Savior. He has circumcised our hearts and He has put off this old flesh, this old nature uh, in our lives. Now you might be thinking, well, if my sinful nature has been cut off by Christ then, why does it seem to be alive and well? Good question. Let's try to answer it by letting Paul speak for himself. Take a look at what Colossians 3.3 says. He says, For you have died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Yet, two verses earlier, literally, Paul says, therefore put to death the members of your earthly body with regard to immorality, etc., etc., etc. So if I'm dead, why do I need to put my flesh to death then? I mean, does that seem kind of like that Paul's contradicting himself here? He's saying you have died with Christ, but then earlier he says you need to be putting to death your members, your body. Is that contradictory? No. You see, the tension is between our position in Christ and our practice of that position as we walk in this sinful world. We need to understand and act upon our new identity in Christ. What is true of Christ is true of us. When He died, we died with Him. When He was raised from the dead, we were raised in Him. And now as He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, we are also seated there in Him, as according to Ephesians 2.6 and Colossians 3.1. You see, all these things are true of us because we have believed in Jesus As we set our minds on these truths, they will govern our behavior. This is why it is so imperative that you are renewing your mind. Renewing it in what? The truthfulness of Scripture. Because what you are putting into your mind will govern how you live your life. And so if you are believing the lies, if you are believing the philosophy of what the world is saying on how to handle your problems, how to live life, and you're not renewing your mind in Scripture, you're going to be directed towards that way. And Paul says these truths of who we are in Christ, what Christ has done, is true of us. And so we still battle sins and the lust of the flesh, but we are no longer slaves to it. Listen to what Paul says about this in Romans 6, 5 through 7. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You see, Paul taught that we are unified with Christ in his death. In Christ's death, he not only took the penalty of our sin, but he crucified our old self, our sinful nature. He broke the power of sin, and therefore we no longer have to be slaves to it. There's a saying, when the telephone of sin rings, you don't have to answer it. For those of us that know Christ as our Savior, yes, we are still tempted to sin, but we don't have to sin any longer. Can a Christian still sin? Yes, because they still have a sin nature. But we don't have to give into it because Jesus' death on the cross broke that power of sin. Has your sin been crucified? Has the reality of Jesus' death captivated you? Has it changed you? Is it changing you? Do you still obey the passions and lust of your sin? Are you saved? Are you born again? 
When Paul said in Romans 6, 6 through 7, that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, he was talking about this event, the circumcision of the flesh. Let's look at our passage here in Colossians 2, 11 through 12 again. Notice what it says. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You see, if you know Christ, meaning you believed in Jesus' death and resurrection, meaning you have repented of your sin and believed the gospel message that Jesus Christ took your penalty on the cross, that Jesus was bruised for your iniquities, he was crushed for your sin, Jesus took the death blow for you, and he died, and he resurrected. If you have believed in that message, then Christ has circumcised your heart and the heart of every believer. And it wasn't a physical circumcision. It was spiritual. You see, we don't need legalistic laws or spiritualism to conquer sin because Christ is sufficient enough. Our old man, the old sin nature, died with him, and therefore we can now start to walk in that freedom. You see, Paul was declaring to the Colossians and to us, Christ is enough. You don't need all this other stuff that all these people are promoting here. Christ is enough. Now let's get our hands dirty here a little bit. We really need to kind of dig into this. So here's a good question. Why is understanding this spiritual circumcision, this deliverance from the power of sin, so important? You see, this is the practical side of our Christianity. This is our sanctification in Christ. Do you want to live a life where you have power over sin? The Bible says that we can do we want to live a life where we're not, where we're not constantly being in this, this process of, of, of sinning again and again and again and again and again and again and again of the same old sin over and over and over and over? Can we live that way where we have power over sin? Yes. Abundantly, Yes. You see, this deliverance from the power of sin is so important because here it is, number one, we can have power over sin because our spiritual circumcision has put to death our sin nature. Now this would have been really important for the Colossians to listen to this and to hear this because one of the extremes of the Gnostic cult was antinomianism. Now you say, what in the world is that? That's actually a, a, a term that was coined uh, by Martin Luther in the 1500s, because Martin Luther was actually dealing with this type of heresy even in his own church. What is antinomianism? Well, anti, against, and nomos is law, so it's against law. They taught that because the flesh was evil and the spirit was good, one could do whatever he wanted with his body. He could live in sin. So basically, I could live however I wanted, irregardless of what Scripture teaches, because I have the Spirit. Basically, it's the belief that because we are saved, sinning isn't a big deal anymore. I think that we see a lot of this in, uh, in churches today. For example, 
It's just a little gossip. That's not a real sin anyway. It's not like my pornography use actually hurts anybody. I'm a gay Christian. It was just a little lie. I know I have an anger problem, but I can't help it. That's just the way I am. Besides, Jesus understands. Everybody does it sometimes. It's not a big deal. I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. I want to help you with this because I believe we are living in perilous times and we don't need to be captivated by this kind of teaching and thinking. Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, was so moved by the justification of faith in Christ alone. And he sums all of it up. He's going, we are justified by faith in Christ alone. And he's so moved by this that in Romans 6, 1 and 2, he basically says, what shall we say to all of this? Because we believed in Jesus, because we've been justified by faith alone in Christ, what should we say to all of this? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means no way are we supposed to live that way we died to sin how can we live in it any longer let me press on this a little bit more turn your bibles over to matthew chapter number five i think there's sometimes uh, this thinking that um you know we believed in jesus and we're living in the age of grace yes that's true And therefore, the Old Testament no longer matters anymore. What Scripture teaches no longer matters anymore. Well, let's see what Jesus had to say about this. Matthew chapter number 5. Was Jesus only about grace or did Jesus emphasize the importance of obeying the law as well? Are the Ten Commandments valid for today? Uh, Matthew chapter number 5. Look at verses number 17 through 19. Look what Jesus says here. For if because of one man's trespass... Oh, sorry, I'm in Romans. I missed it. There it is. Okay. Romans, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this can be quite surprising, even a very uncomfortable passage for many Christians Why was Jesus emphasizing the Old Testament laws here? Well, to understand why Jesus places such an importance on the law, we must ask ourselves this question. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Now, this isn't asking why Jesus chose to die on the cross, because I think Scripture is replete with many examples of that. Uh, His love, His mercy, His grace, all those types of things. But why did Jesus have to die On the cross. You see, why Jesus had to die on the cross, we could ask the question also why couldn't God just say, I forgive you? 
Why couldn't he just say, hey, uh, my love is enough, my grace is enough, my mercy is enough, I forgive you. You see, Jesus had to die on the cross because sin matters. And since sin matters, the law matters. You see, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to faith in Christ. It teaches us of God's holiness. It reveals His standard of righteousness that we fall greatly short of. And all we can do is fall on Jesus for His mercy. And so if we say God's laws, His standards of goodness are meaningless, then sin is no longer sin. People can do whatever they want, even if it contradicts God's love and goodness because God doesn't care enough to hold them accountable. And when that thought process takes over, greed, lies, hatred, lust, arrogance, pride, stealing, oppression, and even murder then become an accepted part of the kingdom of God. You see, sin matters. And it matters so much that Jesus died for our sins. And so Jesus wasn't doing away with the law. He's saying, look, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to elevate it. I've come to show you the full extent of it. You see, many even today think this way. They think because they are saved, because they have received grace, that they are free to live in sin. And Paul says, absolutely not. If we died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? He says we must understand this reality, be kept from the slavery to sin, addiction, secular wisdom, etc. In Romans 6, 11 through 12, Paul said, in the same way, count it, take it into account, realize it, count it yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. And so he says we must think about ourselves differently. We are no longer slaves of sin. We are dead to sin because of this circumcision and therefore alive to God. I believe in many churches today we focus solely on the fact that Christ delivered us from the penalty of sin on the cross. But on that, cry, on that cross, Christ also broke the power of sin. He circumcised us. You see, all Christians must understand this so that they can walk in freedom. Satan does a terrific, masterful job to try to deceive us and promote lies, saying, you'll never change. You've prayed about that several times. You'll never change. You're never going to break that habit or addiction. You're a slave. But that is a lie. We are already changed in Christ. It's a reality. We are new creations in Him. And so we just have to count it. We have to reckon it. We have to take it into account and realize it and begin to think exactly what Scripture says who we are in Jesus. That we are already forgiven. That we are already changed. That we have already had the power of sin broken in our lives. And so we have to live out this circumcision, our death to sin. This is kind of a strange uh, idea to think of it this way. But imagine if you were in prison, and you were set free out of prison. They pardoned you. You were forgiven. 
But instead of walking out of the cell, you said, that's all right. I kind of like the food in here. I kind of like the showers and, you know, bonding with all these guys in here, women in here. I love it. In fact, I love it so much, I'm just going to stay in here just for a little bit longer. You see, this is how so many times I think believers in Christ live their life. God has set you free. He's broken the power of sin. And he's saying, open the door. Walk out. You've been set free. But instead we're going, yeah, you know what? I kind of like these bars. I like that plastic. I like it. This is great. Jesus says you have to reckon it. You have to count it, the fact that it's a reality in your life. And you have to start thinking that way. You see, Christ is sufficient and we don't need anything else. We don't need new revelation. We don't need secular wisdom because Christ is enough. He broke the power of sin. Is that a reality in your life? Do you live that way? Do you believe that? Take a look here and again in our passage here, verse 12. We see the second word here, look, baptism. Why is understanding this baptism, this deliverance from the power of sin so important? Again, this is the practical side of our Christian life, our sanctification. Why is this important? You see, you ready for the good news? Okay, here it is. Secondly, we can have power over sin because we have been baptized and raised in Christ to live a new life in Him. You see, the life that Jesus offers is not just about death to sin. The life that Jesus offers is new life. It's resurrection. It's life. Not just trying harder or getting a little cleaned up. It's a new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Now take note of that word baptism there. Baptism means to immerse, to put under, literally to dunk or to drown. Okay. So for some of you in here, I know that perhaps maybe you grew up in a church where you were sprinkled. Okay. hate to tell you this, but that's not baptism. Okay. Baptism is immersing, completely going under the water. Okay. And so just as outward circumcision doesn't make you in right standing with God, neither does a water baptism. Paul's not talking about water baptism here. He's talking about a spiritual baptism that took place the moment that you believed in Christ. And what happened? Look what he says there. He says, having been buried with him in baptism. He didn't say you were sprinkled with dirt. He says you were buried, completely covered up. Right, And so here it is, we were buried with Christ in baptism. Spiritually speaking, Christ immersed us into his death and put to death our sin nature. And I love this, in which you were also raised with him. See, it's not all about death, but it's about life. And we were resurrected with him through faith in the powerful working of God. And so I would say to you, if you're trusting in your water baptism for salvation, water baptism does not save you. Faith in Jesus does. Perhaps you were baptized as a baby or a small child, or perhaps you went to a church that taught that you had to be water baptized to have your sins forgiven. At this church, we do believe in water baptism, not in order to be saved 
or have your sins forgiven, but because we have believed in Jesus and we are saved. And God's word teaches us that water baptism is a symbol, just like how that circumcision was a symbol, the water baptism is a symbol to show what it should have already been a reality that has happened in our hearts. And so baptism does not precede salvation, right? It comes after. Water baptism comes after salvation because it's that symbol that has taken place the moment that we trusted in Christ. And I would say to you, if you have not been baptized, biblically is what uh, Scripture teaches, uh, maybe you have faith in Christ, but you've never been baptized. I would encourage you to do so and follow our Lord's uh, command in that. And I want you to listen closely at what Paul is teaching us here. Because by understanding of what has taken place in our hearts, by being buried with him in baptism, how this helps us to live a life where we have power over sin. So what does this baptism show? Look, look what he says here. He breaks it down for us. Being buried with him. Just as Christ died, baptism serves as a symbol of dying to the old self. He wants us to take that into account, that the old me, the old you, is dead. But I love this part. In which you were also raised. That's awesome. Raised with him, raised with Christ. And so we've died to the old self, and now we've been resurrected to a new self. We're raised with Christ, a new life. Now here it is, don't miss this. In Jesus we have power over sin. Why? Notice our text, verse number 12. You were raised with him through faith. Faith in what? The powerful working of God. How powerful is God? It is so powerful that it was God who raised him, Jesus, from the dead. How powerful is the God that I serve? He is so powerful... He can raise me who is dead to sin to live a life, a new life in Jesus. He is so powerful that he can break every bondage of sin in my life and raise me to new life in him. What sin bondage do you have? What sin is it that you struggle with? Jesus has the power and has given you the power enough to break that bondage. But you have to reckon it. You have to count it. You have to start thinking exactly what Scripture says is true. You have to apply the biblical principles and start disciplining your life, living a godly life. Stop doing that sin, putting off the old flesh and putting on Jesus Christ and living and walking in newness of life. You see, that's how powerful God is. Sometimes people say things like, I tried it, it just doesn't work. Hold up, hold up. Are you telling me that what Jesus said or what uh, Paul says here is a lie then? And what God did here is a lie? You're saying that your sin is more powerful than resurrecting Jesus from the dead. That's what you're saying. That's not true. Jesus has given us power over sin, and it's through our circumcision and it's through our baptism. You see, there is an empty tomb. And because there is an empty tomb, that tells us that God who resurrected Jesus from the dead with power is the same God that can allow you to have power over sin in your life. So have you reckoned that? Are you living that way? Are you being coming captivated by everything else the world is saying? 
and not keeping your focus and your attention and becoming captivated by Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.